Meet Allison. She has an autoimmune disease and feels like her immune system is just overall challenged. She's pretty susceptible to infections like colds and stomach bugs and tries to do what she can to avoid getting sick. Because if and when she does, it just lingers for weeks and weeks. A cold would turn into a cough. That can often go into bronchitis, at which point she would need antibiotics. Those would often upset her stomach, create candida, and that would make her even more tired. And by the time she comes out of that cycle, she finds herself with yet another cold. How exhausting. When the pandemic started, she wanted to take every precaution. She was really scared. So she took vitamins, stayed inside, and listened to everything she was supposed to do. Her social distancing seemed to have paid off. She didn't get sick in almost a year. But it was tough. She lives alone, and she felt quite isolated. Now that things are opening up, she is so excited to get back out there. But the anxiety started to creep in. She wants to travel, go out to dinner, go to a movie, and enjoy life again. But when friends ask her to get together, she feels fearful. Those same feelings also come up when she thinks about going back to work, which she will need to do in the coming months, and she's still not sure what she wants to do about the vaccine. Allison reached out to me for help in supporting her immune system so that she could start getting out more without fear while being safe in terms of her autoimmunity. I knew that we had to look at this from all angles so that we could come up with ways she can enter the post-lockdown COVID world with confidence. Every year... Thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know, because that was me, before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Allison's struggle with anxiety in trying to navigate this post-COVID shutdown world. Returning to the show today to discuss this further is Dr. Don Wood. You may remember Dr. Wood from episode 62, where we spoke about a very important underlying cause of autoimmunity and inflammation. And if you missed that episode, please be sure to check it out. Now, Dr. Wood is the founder of the Inspired Performance Institute, where through his research, he discovered that trauma can create subconscious blocks that can lead to all types of health issues. But the good news is that it can be eliminated and your mind can actually be rebooted, which is really, really neat. His training programs are changing lives for so many people and help reset the mind and restore the body to optimal states of health, performance, and wellness. Dr. Wood, so excited to have you back here. Thank you for being here and welcome. Thank you so much, Ina. I'm glad to be back. I really enjoyed the last one we did and I'm looking forward to talking about this one. I think there's a lot of really exciting things that people could learn from this. Absolutely. Me too. So the last time we chatted, we talked about unresolved trauma and that we all wrestle with disturbing events and experiences from our past, both small and large. These can have profound effects on our health, even if we don't think the trauma was all that traumatic. And building on this, we as a society are in a very interesting place. At the time of this recording, now in March 2021, we've all been under some kind of lockdown or quarantine and have dealt with many unknowns, which of course created a lot of fear, frustration, and anxiety for so many of us. Now, now that things are starting to open up, it's hard not to feel some excitement of being able to do more. 
But the fact that we've been living differently over the last year has created its own set of challenges and re-entering the world may not be as easy as people may think. When it comes to trauma, we all know the big traumas, but what are some other traumas people may not categorize as such, especially surrounding the events of this last year? Well, it's interesting because obviously, as you said, everybody knows what that big T trauma is. What I did is I coined a term called emotional concussions. And what I mean by that is they may not be the big things that you would think of, but it's just like sometimes getting a concussion. You're not sure. Yeah, maybe you got banged up, but you're not really knowing whether or not that's affecting you. So even people who do get physical concussions sometimes don't know that they're being affected. So when I say emotional concussion, it can be things, for example, last, you know, this last year with COVID about being isolated, maybe being away from family, um, losing all those social times that we become used to, you know, even things like just going out to restaurants, um, going to movies. Those are the kinds of things that you may not realize how they're building up, but they do build up just like a physical concussion can compile, you know, all these NFL players who are now realizing how bad those injuries were while they were playing at the time, you know, they felt like they were fine. So that's something that is important to identify and at least understand and then address at some point. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Now, Dr. Wood, if unresolved, how can these emotional concussions, as you call them, create physical issues in the body? Well, like I said, they sort of build up. So they're going to start to activate your nervous system when anything looks like, sounds like, smells like that again. And the more you activate your nervous system, the response is going to be inflammation because that's the response the body gets when there's a trauma. So again, I, I use physical trauma sometimes because it helps explain it. If somebody was punching me in the arm, I would end up developing some inflammation in that area because the cells go into a cell danger response. Well, that's a normal response to a trauma, even an emotional trauma. So that's why so many people end up with autoimmune issues. Uh, and I think I explained before in the, in the last episode that my daughter developed Crohn's, my wife has Hashimoto's. Um, there's a lot of people who are discovering these things later in life thinking that they came out of nowhere, but they've been building for a long time. And that, if it's left unresolved long enough, is going to show up somewhere. And with this inflammation, is it something that's going to manifest in a specific area of the body? Is there a way to know who may manifest in a certain autoimmune versus another? Um, I, I've seen it in different areas. So it just really depends. But a lot of it is in the intestinal area, the stomach area. So there's where you see a lot of people with, like my daughter with Crohn's, IBS, colitis, things like that. My wife's was different. She ended up, you know, basically burning out part of her thyroid because she was in a constant state of fight or flight. So cortisol was constantly being released, which will also activate that. And, and inflammation, you know, is sort of um, an interesting thing because people would assume that inflammation is a bad thing, but it's actually... It's a defense mechanism. It's designed to protect the integrity of the system. So when you have an inflamed area, the purpose of that is to temporarily block anything from penetrating that area while the healing starts. 
And when the danger passes, it will start the healing. The problem we have is that trauma, unresolved trauma, continues to loop. And because it continues, the cells stay in an active cell danger response, which is going to keep the inflammation active. That was why for my daughter, you know, she spent years in an inflamed state because she was constantly activating her nervous system because she was always under the fight or flight response because of the trauma constantly being activated. So what's happening is nothing's getting into the cell for that period of time, but nothing's getting out of the cell. And the longer they're left in that kind of a situation, then they're going to become toxic because they're supposed to not be stuck in this permanent spot. It's a temporary pause until the danger passes. But if the danger never passes because the mind continues to be activated with it, it stays in that response and the cells begin to, to die or become toxic. And that's what it was for my daughters. They ended up having in four different operations take out pieces because they basically just died. And then they couldn't work. Um, so they had to cut it out and reattach it again. Wow. And, you know, I think for so many people, they are under this constant inflammation, as you call it. And a lot of them don't even realize that they have this underlying trauma, which actually brings me to my next question, which is, you know, and especially in this case, when we talk about COVID, there are some people who really know that there's a lot of fear, they're very nervous to do stuff. And there's others that feel like mm, it's okay, you know, I'm fine, everything is okay. Can this be on a subconscious level? Can people have some type of trauma associated with it and not know it? And if so, is there a way they can find out if it's really affecting them? It, it absolutely can be um, active. They just don't realize it. And a lot of times it doesn't come immediately. Like, for example, with my daughter, my daughter's trauma happened between the ages of six and eight, but she didn't get diagnosed with Crohn's until she was 14. So it was just continuing to build and then also, too, if you're younger, your system is probably a little healthier to respond to it. A lot of people uh, start to see the, I talked to a gentleman the other night who in his third, when he was about 30, that's when all of a sudden his um, autoimmune issues started popping up. So you may not realize it's happening. And that's why if you have a series of these kinds of emotional concussions, they're going to manifest itself at some point. And, and the best way to really understand it, and this is what I always talk about, is that if you have an emotion, a feeling, a sensation, that is your mind calling for an action. So if you think about something that happened to you five years ago, and say we get five years post-COVID, and you start to feel anxious when you think about that period of time, that means it's still active. Your mind is continually active in that COVID response, which is that shutdown response to protect us. So when you feel those emotions or feelings or sensations, that means that the mind is actually trying to get something done. Hmm. And if it's five years from now, what your mind is trying to get it to be done is not have, not have this COVID response five years ago because your subconscious mind is fully present in the moment all the time. So when, if let's just say five years from now, you and I are sitting talking about this and you start to feel anxious. 
what your mind is thinking is that you were five years ago in that response because it sees it in real time. Right, because it doesn't know the difference that it was five years ago. It's now as far as, so when you start thinking about what happened five years ago and you feel that response, your mind is thinking that it's happening now. It doesn't know time. It doesn't know five years ago or five years from now. Everything for your subconscious is now. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. So it's activating your nervous response about something that's not happening. Mm -hmm. Now, if that continues to build, you can see how it can wear down your system. So the key, especially now, is to learn how to regulate your nervous system. And I talk about when I was a child, I grew up in this idyllic childhood, very, very calm, nurturing household. My parents never argued, never fought. You know, maybe they did when we didn't see them, but we sure didn't see it. Lucky you. I'm very lucky. Well, I actually didn't realize it at the time. I just thought everybody lived like that. (laughs) Um, It was a very unusual childhood. So I didn't know that my friends were living in different households than I was, that they were having trauma, physical, emotional traumas. Because if I'd go to their house, everybody's on their best behavior. I wouldn't see it. Um, It was the behind the scenes. And then because of that, all the shame and guilt that comes along with that, nobody would talk about it. So my friends wouldn't necessarily share the fact that maybe things weren't very good at home. Um, You know, my wife, when I met my wife, I realized she couldn't hide it because I was around all the time. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, this is really unusual. I can feel the tension in the home. I could see the the fear that the children had in the home from their father. And that was foreign to me. That didn't make any sense until I realized that was going on in a lot of homes. And that's why people are ending up with some of the health issues. I never get sick. I've been healthy all my life. And it doesn't mean that I never had anything ever happen. I certainly didn't have much when I was a child, you know, the typical bumps, you know, a friend not being nice to you or, you know, I never got bullied, but, you know, you'd have, you know, those, those little altercations with friends. But when I came home, I would regulate my nervous system because I felt safe again. And so I learned as a child to naturally do that. Now, if you haven't had that kind of a childhood or that kind of experience, you need to learn how to do that. Otherwise, COVID is going to show up somewhere. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. And I'm going to get to that in just a second, because I definitely want my listener to be able to do that and get some actionable steps on how to do that. But I wanted to ask you, you mentioned anxiety is something that people can feel if you know, they may think back to certain things with COVID, but is that the only emotion or are there others? Like, for example, if someone may start to feel sad or they may feel other feelings, could that still lead to that same trauma or is it only anxiety? Well, anxiety is the biggest one because anxiety is the fear of something that hasn't happened yet. So you're anticipating something's going to happen. Now, there's a natural state of caution that we would all have, you know, women especially. I always talk, you know, men don't understand the, the world that women live in. You know, we can walk out to the parking lot at nighttime and get into our car. Um, a, a woman, as you know, just can't walk out there without maybe taking a look and see are there are other cars in the parking lot. Is there anybody in those cars, right? Um, mm-hmm. Are you, you know, how quickly can you get to your car, open the door? So... I just walk out. 
Now that kind of anxiety right, and that kind of fear, right, mounts after a period of time. But that's going to happen because of experiences. The world's not as safe for women as it is for men. Doesn't mean it's safe for men either, but not to the same degree. So you can see why so many women end up with a lot of these autoimmune issues because they've lived in a world since they were children with that kind of fear. And then that fear brings the anxiety Yeah. because now it's like, what don't I know that I should know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, a couple of other things with COVID that people may not realize, and I know you and I chatted about this before we hit record, is some of these things that may be coming out as the world is opening up. So for example, we normally don't think much of a common cold, right? I mean, we all get them, especially in the winter time, but I found even already with myself questioning that, you know, my son Jake would come home from school with a runny nose. I'm like, okay, it's just a cold. But then there's this thing in the back of my mind. Well, is it just a cold? Well, yeah, sure. It's just a cold, but wait a minute. Should I get him tested just in case, you know, I have to let the school know. And, you know, it's, it's something that is, it's a fleeting and a passing thought, but it is still there in the back of my mind. So then I wonder, okay, well, is that creating an underlying anxiety? And then building on that, it's, you know, as things open up and you maybe have allergies, or even if it is a cold and you need to cough or sneeze. And I found myself going to the grocery store and literally holding in a sneeze because I'm like, I don't want people to look (laughs) at me funny. And on the other side, and I don't mean to, but if someone's sneezing around me, there is this like, oh, wait, you're sneezing. Maybe I should like walk away, (laughs) you know? And it's just something that I never really thought about that much. It's true because, you know, I have the same thing. You know, if I have a little tickle in my throat for some reason, my throat's dry, I, I'm worried about coughing in a restaurant. And because you know that what are people thinking, right? And do you have your mask on? Do you not have your mask on? Even when you walk into the restaurant, okay, we're, we're living in Florida and things are pretty open here. They have been for a long time. Yeah. But you, you still have, you know, if you get to a restaurant and you're waiting to be seated, you know, most people have masks on, but today's a great example. Today I was there and the people standing in the lobby were not wearing a mask. And and I'm generally pretty okay with that. But even myself was like, oh, I'll bet you they're going to get some looks mm-hmm. from people who are passing them. And even if you walk to your table and you don't have your mask, you can see people looking at you. And, and the guy sitting across from me has his mask on the entire time, you <laughs> know, just taking it off to eat a little bit and then puts it back on. Right. So you've got that range of people who are super, super worried about it to the people who are like, I'm okay. Right. But that's the thing, you know, even though they're okay, like, is there something underlying? And that's what's sometimes hard to know. Because the other thing I find is, and I think it's something that we're going to see more and more as things open up more, but it's that whole, you know, socialization, contact, the physical touch, you know, where's the society? We need that physical bonding, right? Like hugging, shaking hands, you know, these kinds of things. And, you know, everyone's doing like the fist pump now and whatnot. And I think as things open up, people, I mean, even myself too, like I question like, well, can I hug you? I don't know. Is that okay? Like, how do you want to do this? And it's just this like awkward thing. It is. And then with that, and it's funny, right? Because it's awkward, but is it really funny, right? Is there this underlying, like, is your body tensing up, not even realizing that you're thinking, should I hug you or should I not? I'm still seeing that now. Like it's one of those things where you sort of, 
you know, you reach in, you're like, should I be moving in? And it's like, it's like those movies when you saw those movies where two people, like, they like each other, but that's that awkward moment about, yes. you know, should I, should I, and then you move and then the other person moves away. And, you know, that is, is strange because that's not who we are and that's not who we're supposed to be. You know, and if it's a complete stranger, it's one thing to fuss, fist pump them or, you know, I just think that the weirdest thing to me is the elbow thing. I just don't get that. I just won't. I just won't do an elbow. I just right. rather not it's, do anything. It's hygienic, but that's about it. Right. <laughs> exactly. It just looks so I got to stick out my elbow. Right. No, I agree. Um, but I know I think the important point what I wanted to highlight here is that, you know, even if people think, yeah, we're OK, like we're not affected by this, we're fine. There could be all of these underlying things we may not realize that could create anxiety and then can basically ramp up the nervous system. So with, you know, whether someone knows that they're amped up, so to speak, or may not realize it, what are some steps that people can take to help to downregulate their nervous system and balance it, you know, after they go out or after, you know, a long day or, you know, after they come back from somewhere? Well, if, if you don't already do it, it's a good sort of practice to get in is to start doing things that calm down your nervous system, which could be listening to music, could be doing breathing exercises, meditation, anything that helps get the nervous system back into check. Um, the idea is to be able to stay present in the moment. And if you can do that, then there's several different ways to do that. Our program does that really well. We give you tools that you can use to get your mind to come back into the present. But if you haven't gone through our program, just even some of the breathing, meditation, listening to music, all those things calm down your nervous system. And especially now we should be practicing that because the more you practice it, the easier it is to get there. What would you say to someone who's just starting out? say that they've never meditated before, they don't know how, they may feel like it's a very hard thing and their mind can't come down. What are some things that they can do as if they're a beginner? A great tool is just to close your eyes for a minute and just do a breathing exercise. And one of the breathing exercises, I know there's all kinds of different ones. I use one I call a five, six, seven. And what you do is you breathe in through your nose for five seconds, you hold it for six seconds, and then you breathe out through your mouth for seven seconds. But with your eyes closed, you automatically start calming down. It's the stimulation from your eyes that sometimes activates it even more. So just close your eyes and then do that five, six, seven. I generally have people do it three times. You can even do it four times. It's, here's what happens is when you get a lot of oxygen back into the system, you automatically calm down doesn't matter what the situation is, you'll feel calmer. Because the mind response, what happens is, is when we start to get tense, and this is something my wife explained to me, I never realized it because it never happened to me. She would find herself at times not breathing. And she would catch herself going, I, I just stopped breathing for a little bit. And then she would like, <gasps> and start breathing again. As soon as you change that oxygen CO2, um, balance, that's going to that's going to start to activate your nervous system. 
Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I really like that breath. And I think I have some similarities to your wife where when I, I mean, I'm better now, but in the past when I would get very stressed and nervous, I would also find myself either breathing very shallowly or just hold my breath, especially if I'm trying to finish an email or get something out with a deadline. You know, I hold my breath thinking I'm going to work quicker in some way <laughs> somehow. It's very silly, but I've done that. And what I found was that, you know, people say, oh, well, just, uh, just breathe, you know, breathe deeply and that will help. But I found that just breathing deeply actually made it worse because I almost felt like I was hyperventilating because I'm holding my breath and then I'm like, (gasps) and it made it worse. So doing that, you know, five, seven, eight breath, or even just a five, 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 where you breathe and then you hold and then you breathe out on hold, that makes such a difference for me. And I mean, I use that to this day and I find it extremely helpful and it's so simple. It is. And you're right. That hold is really a key to it. So, because you start, you're right. If you start breathing in and out faster, you could hyperventilate. But when you hold it, it gives it a chance to regulate. Yeah. Now, Dr. Wood, when you work with your patients on trauma, do they have to know what the trauma is? Or do you have people that just have certain issues, whether it's autoimmunity or other physical manifestations, and they say, you know, I might have trauma, I might not. Do they need to know and be able to identify it? Not always, because a lot of times people may not remember the trauma. Uh, But what does happen, which is interesting, is I'll ask them about, then let's take a look at an experience in your lifetime that has been disturbing. It doesn't have to be big T trauma but a particular time that was disturbing. And what generally happens is that once you start to uncover a couple of those, then all of a sudden it'll be like, oh my gosh, there's something I never thought about before. This happened to me when I was such and such an age because they may not have recognized it or or think about it. But the other thing, what's brilliant about the way our brains work is we're designed to heal. And sometimes those traumas get pushed back as a protection system. So you're consciously not aware of them, but your subconscious is. So if it's still there and it has been left unresolved, it's going to show up somewhere in your life. And and again, it may not be a big thing. And I I always tell this one story, I'll try to tell this real quick, but when I was younger, um, like I said, I didn't really have a lot of trauma. And this probably most people would go, that doesn't seem like a big thing, but I, I never liked to gamble, like even to this day, I'm not a gambler. I don't like to buy lottery tickets. I don't, I don't go to Vegas to gamble. I just never liked gambling. And it came back to an experience when I was um, 16, the tennis coach who was sort of my mentor, he uh, put me in, he was supposed to play a match against a guy for quite a bit of money. And he ended up, um, he was a gambler. He used to bet all the time on all these matches. And he was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Now, I was 16, so I certainly didn't recognize it. And But anyway, in this match that he was going to play at the last second during the warm-ups, he turned around and said, this is a waste of my time. And he made me play the guy for the same amount of money. Ooh. And he put all his rackets on the line and all the people from our club were there and all the people from their club was there. And I was winning the match, it was only one set and I was winning four games to three. And he came over to me and he had never done this before. He called me over to the fence and he started to get mad at me. And he started yelling at me saying, stop bleeping around, like finish this guy off. There's a lot more than my money on this match. I lost the next three games. Wow. Now I, I remembered that event 
but I wouldn't have thought I could describe it to you and I was okay. And then we were playing, I play golf now. And one of the guys we play with always likes to bet. And I found I never played well when I bet or the, and, and it's not even a lot of money. It's like $20. So it's not like it's big money like that was. And then I just decided that I'm not going to bet. They can all play and bet. And then I was playing one day with my son and a couple of other friends, and I was playing really well. And the one person said, you know, he says, I, I just noticed you really do play better when you don't bet. And my son said something. He turns around and he says, oh, yeah, my dad just doesn't like to lose money. And I instantly felt my stomach get sick. Like, you know, that mm -hmm. feeling that all of a sudden that nauseous feeling. And I started feeling it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that all flashed back to me losing everybody's money. And that is probably why I never liked to bet, but I wouldn't have connected that until my son said that. Right. Right. So interesting. Yeah. And that's how those sort of connections show up. So to me, to avoid danger, my mind would just say, don't bet. Because after I lost that match, nobody would talk to me. They were so mad at me. You know, and I'm a 16-year-old kid. Right. right. I shouldn't have been put in that situation. That's terrible that you're put in that situation. Because if you think about then the downstream effects of that, I mean, it's good that right now the only thing that sort of came out for you is that you don't like to bet, which, hey, I mean, I would say that's kind of a positive, I guess, all things <laughs> considered, right? But, you know, for someone else, maybe if you take that a few steps further, right? Here you are at 16, you lose. No one's talking to you. So you're thinking, oh my God, I lost their money. But then, you know, your mind can then kind of go further and say, they don't like me. Yep. I'm rejected, right? I'm not part of this club. And then there's like feelings of safety that could come up, you know, because back in the day, right, if we're rejected and we're outside of our circle, then we could be, you know, fed to the wolves, so to speak. So there's like all of these other traumas that could have come out of that. Absolutely. No, you're 100% right. The fortunate thing for me is that would have been considered my big drama. Mm -hmm. Right. And so because I didn't have a lot of other things that didn't probably have the same effect it could have had on somebody else who had been maybe having a lot more of that, maybe at home or, you know, with other things going on. So I was very fortunate not to have a compounding effect on that event. It sort of stood alone as an isolated event. Although what ended up happening is I ended up having to leave that club eventually mm. because after he, so this, this was the pro at this club. And then one of the things we used to do is I used to work out with his um, uh, students in exchange for him training me. So after he had the, he had the nervous breakdown about three months after that. And so the city that owned the club came to me and said, we have to hire a new pro, but will you run the lessons until we get a new pro? So I, and they ended up offering me the job at the end of the summer because they hadn't found a new pro and everybody seemed to like me. And so at 16, here's what my mind's thinking. I just took over my mentor's job, right? He had a nervous breakdown. And now all these people are not happy having a 16-year-old pro at their club who lost them all this money. Mm -hmm. And so I was really isolated at that point. They just never accepted me in that role. They never and eventually ended up leaving. But I was fortunate to be able to have so much security in my home life that that didn't really have a major effect on me. But it could have. Yeah, it could have. It absolutely could have. And I think for a lot of people, it probably would have. Absolutely. Yep. So 
how do you work with people on trauma? Because, you know, something like this, obviously this is a specific event, but there's so many similar types of things that happen to so many of us. And I know that what you do can actually reset things, which is amazing because a lot of people think, oh, we're just damaged or we're the way we are. And so, you know, such is life, but there is a lot that can be done. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. One of the things that we do is we'll find two or three events that you've had in your lifetime. And a lot of people sometimes worry, well, what if it's not the one is the best one, or maybe it's the bigger, it doesn't matter. Once we get the mind to start resetting it, it then starts to reset everything. So we don't have to do it in any particular order from biggest to smallest, youngest to oldest. All we have to do is just get the mind to start that reboot. So it's almost like a, um, an app, an algorithm, a defragging of the computer. Once we start the process, and we'll do it with two or three events, it will then start to do all the events. And I've had people say to me, after we've done that, there were other events and they thought about them afterwards, but now they can think about them and it doesn't, it was as if we clear them at the same time. So the mind can actually heal itself. All we have to do is get it started. And it's incredible. I guess that's similar to when we talk about certain physical things. You know, I often talk to my clients about, let's say, fixing their gut and, you know, maybe rebalancing their microflora and killing off bad bugs. And then that's going to help to then reset the immune system. And then the body kind of goes from there. So it makes sense that it's similar with the mind. I always say, imagine we have 100% of our energy when we wake up in the morning. And if you have 100% of your energy, just like we take our phones and we plug them in, right? To recharge overnight. You can imagine what happens if when you power up your phone, 20 apps open up. That's going to drain a lot of the energy that you were trying to charge. And so if that happens now, how much energy do you have to do maintenance? So that's why when people have a lot of emotional, you know, trauma or emotional concussions, so much of their mind's energy that they need to do normal maintenance, even repair work, is drained. And the mind's not going to do that maintenance or repair work if it's in a fight or flight mode. If it's got a survival threat, it's going to deal with the survival threat before it deals with the maintenance issue. So if you're running on jagged rocks and you're being chased by a, a bear, you're not going to feel the pain on your feet until you get away from the bear and you escape, then you'll start getting the maintenance call. But in the meantime, your mind is not going to start trying to get you to be careful running on the rocks because survival is more important than the pain message right now. And it's the same thing. How does the reboot process work? So here's a real quick way I can explain it. If I asked you what you ate for dinner last night, uh, Ina, can you tell me what you ate for dinner? Oh, uh, what did I eat for dinner? I do know. Hold on. Oh, okay. <laughs> brown rice, black beans, some chicken, guacamole, and bok choy. Wow, super healthy. Great. <laughs> I had to think about that, but that really was what I had, yes. So when I asked you that, you had to go into your memory system and you saw pictures, right, of what you ate. I did. I actually kind of thought about what my plate looked like. Exactly. Yep. That's how you stored the information about what you ate for dinner last night. No other animal on the planet does that. It's only humans. We store explicit details about events and experiences. But because last night wasn't disturbing or threatening, that was stored as a fairly routine file. Mm -hmm. 
Now, if you have an event that is disturbing or traumatic, all your senses are heightened. So now what you're doing is you're recording it in high definition because your, your sight, your smell, your hearing are all very intensified. It's taking in a tremendous amount of that information and storing it in high def. So what I do during our process is we'll take those two or three events that are stored in that high definition mode and we'll get your mind to start processing it into the same format as to what you ate for dinner last night. And when it does that, it now just sees a routine file and it's information only. Mm. When you see the high definition, it activates your nervous system because it's so bright and intense. Hollywood has made trillions of dollars from this <laughs> because I, they can activate our nervous system in a movie. Yes, yes. Because our mind doesn't know that that movie is not happening. So you're sitting there, your conscious mind is saying, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio is playing in a movie called Titanic. And your subconscious mind is saying, oh my gosh, Jack is dying. Right. He's going to drown. Why aren't we saving him? Right. That emotion is call for an action. Don't let him die. Don't let him drown. Your conscious mind knows that that's not real, but your subconscious doesn't. That's what happens in memory. So if you have a lot of that high resolution, high definition memory constantly activating your nervous system, it's going to break you down physically and emotionally. Too many calls for actions. Right. You know, and I think the biggest thing with that is just that the emotions are then going to affect your physical body because I think a lot of people don't realize that. And this is what I really want to hit home is that all of these things and what you were explaining about the mind going on this loop, you know, there is no time for maintenance. And, you know, so many of um, my listeners have different types of health issues and many have autoimmune diseases. And, you know, there's just, this is such a trigger for that. And I think this is just so important to address. And then that's why I always say there's nothing wrong with anybody's mind. Everybody's mind is doing exactly what it's designed to do. If there was a threat and that threat existed right now, doesn't it make sense your mind would call for an action? It's supposed to do that. It's designed to do that. Yeah. Where the glitch and error message is coming in is that the mind is looking at memory in real time. And that's the same as the event to your subconscious mind. And if it sees that event as a threat, it's going to activate your nervous system. And if it continues to do that, it's going to end up in an autoimmune, in some sort of a health issue. So what does that mean about you? Nothing. It's exactly what your mind is supposed to do. It's just now activated for the wrong reason, on information, not on an actual event. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad you're mentioning that about nothing being wrong with the mind, because I think there's two sides to this. And, you know, people often say, oh, well, you know, I've been through too much. I'm broken, right? Something's wrong, you know, or the other side is everything is fine. You know, I haven't been through anything, but it's not about how much you've been through or that something is wrong. You know, your mind is okay. It's just doing what it's supposed to. Yeah. And so that takes away a lot of that. There's something wrong with me. I'm broken, just like you said. Nobody is broken. It's just if you get constantly called into action, that's going to have an effect on you. It has to. I was fortunate that I was able to get my nervous system regulated. It learned how to do that. I developed the ability to do that. Most people didn't have that luxury. So it and it continues to build up and mount up. So of course it's going to show up somewhere. It has to. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them. 
I mean, they may be feeling there's something wrong, right? They're not feeling healthy, but you can fix it because everything's, everybody's taught to live and manage and cope with it. And I, that never made sense to me. So why do we want to manage anxiety, manage depression, manage anger, right? It's a, there's no purpose to anger unless there's a th- current threat or there's no purpose to fear unless there's a current threat. So, or anxiety. So why would you want to learn how to manage it? What I say is let's eliminate it. And what I always talk about, and I I use this as an example, that a a zebra cannot feel fear of a lion unless there's a lion present. Zebras aren't thinking about lions. Zebras don't remember what the lion did yesterday. And so if there's no lion, the zebra's eating, mating, and taking care of its babies. But if a lion shows up, zebra's autonomic nervous system would automatically engage to protect the zebra. Mm. We have that exact same system, but we added explicit memory. And that's what continues to activate it. And that's what we fix. So we can fix it. We don't need to live with it and manage it. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, Because I think, you know, when someone is doing traditional therapy and I get nothing against therapy, I mean, I think it's really important that people do everything they can. But I think in a lot of traditional ways, it is like you said about managing or just talking about it and talking about it. But a lot of times when we deal with trauma, you know, if you keep talking about it and don't do anything, but talk about it, you're literally just re-traumatizing yourself every time that you talk about it. Exactly. So So if you keep doing that, you're just reliving the trauma. So you're not helping it. You're not fixing it. Now, I know, like you said, therapy does help. Maybe there's something currently that you're dealing with. Maybe it's a boss or it's a relationship that you're in a current situation. Therapy is great for that because you do need to learn how to handle those kinds of day-to-day issues. Where it's not very helpful is on the old stuff, those landmines that are lying around that you can keep stepping on. So if you take a couple, right, who generally should be, you know, have a happy marriage, but they keep stepping on each other's, you know, traumas, and activating the other nervous of the person's nervous system, and then they fight all the time. They're not really doing anything wrong. They just don't realize why they're creating this tension. So, for example, when I always talk about when I used to say something simple like this to my wife, no, I don't like that. She would start to cry. And I'd go, why are you crying? And she'd go, well, because you're starting to get mad at me. And I would say, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to get mad at you. And she says, well, yes, you are. She says, I can hear you're getting mad. What I didn't understand at the time was that she had learned to listen very, very carefully to the way her father spoke so that she could recognize when danger was coming, when he started to get mad. And so if I had something that was frustrating me earlier in the day and I show up at home I'm not mad at her, but maybe that little change, inflection change in my vocal tone shows up. I couldn't hear it if you paid me, right? But she hears it like, "Uh uh-oh, that's a different tone than he usually has. He must be starting to get mad. And then I thought it was what I said would activate her nervous system and she'd cry and it wasn't. It was all the flood of data that would come in about her being hurt by her father. And that would overwhelm her nervous system. Now, she thought it was what I said. I thought it was what I said, but it wasn't. It was the nervous system getting activated by looking at 
tremendous amounts of traumatic events at the same time. Your mind does a Google search. Have we seen this before, heard this before? And, and it starts looking at all this data. Of course, our nervous system would activate. Yeah. Yeah. And those triggers, like you said, it could be a lot of different things. So it could be your tone, but it could even be just not necessarily what you said, but a certain word. Once that gets activated, then like parts of words even can become triggers, right? Absolutely. And just like the wrong word being said or the way, like for an example, somebody, you know, and men do this all the time. They may turn around and say, oh yeah, that's fine, honey. And the, and the woman like gets immediately tense. Well, because maybe when she was younger, that was a tone that somebody used with her or a father or somebody that had hurt her. And then he, she hears that word and that word automatically puts her into a defensive position. Mm-hmm. And the guy who said, honey, has no idea why she's all tense and angry at him. When people have these traumas and, you know, whether they know it or not, obviously they know that their nervous system is upregulated and it's creating potentially their physical issues. How long does it take to do this reboot and how do you work with people? That's the great news is what I'm doing, which I think is unique, is I take them through a four hour process because I believe one hour you can't get as much done. It takes a little bit of time for me to get their system into a restorative mindset. So when we have traumatic memory, traumatic memory is stored in what I call is a beta brainwave uh, state. Very, very intense, lots of information. Why our program works is in four hours, I'm able to get you into an alpha brainwave state, which is where the mind is very, very relaxed and super focused. And when you get into that state, and it generally takes an hour and a half to two hours to get you into that really relaxed state, then we start working on two or three different events. But by this point, your mind is feeling pretty safe, and we're only going to do a two to three minute maximum highlight reel of that event. And we're able to get the mind to reprocess that beta state into an alpha brainwave state memory and it calms it all down. And it does it so quick, it's amazing. Like I said, I've worked with some of the biggest traumas that you could imagine, from Boston Marathon bombing survivors, the Vegas shooting victims, veterans, and within a few minutes, we can have their mind reprocess it. And then they can talk about it, and they'll go like, how am I able to talk about it now without crying and shaking? And I says, because your mind thought something was happening before. So it creates an emotion for you to do something. There's no purpose to an emotion except a call for action. Right. It makes perfect sense. What's the purpose of fear? To escape. Yeah. So if you think about something that happened to you five years ago and you feel fear, what could you escape from? It's a glitch. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And when I say that to people, they'll go, I never thought about it like that, but it makes sense. Now, you also have a way for people to go through this online if they're not able to work with you directly. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So we created a digital experience where you can, it's me taking you through the same four-hour program, but you just follow along. So there's different modules as you're going along, but you still need the four hours. But during that four hours, most people, right, it's very rare that somebody can't get through it on their own in four hours. It's your brain, your mind that's doing all the work. I'm just guiding it. (laughs) So 
when you follow along with the program, it's pretty incredible how quickly your mind can make those uh, changes. And it does it in the four hours, whether you're with me or whether you're watching it online. And I know that you are generous enough to offer everyone listening a discount to your program. And for anyone that's interested, you can go to gettip.com forward slash Ina. That's G-E-T-T-I-P-P.com forward slash I-N-N-A. I'm going to put that link in the show notes so that you can get a discount if it's something that resonates with you, because I know it's something that is going to be helpful for so many people. I love what you do in helping all these people. So this is just another tool for you to help the people that you do so much to help. It's just sometimes we don't recognize where these things are coming from. And now once they do this, everything else that you're doing with them is going to be so much more powerful because this is the one thing that generally has the biggest influence in the healing process. Yeah, it's so true. And I, talk about this on the show a lot. And it's really looking at things from all of the angles. We talk about autoimmunity a lot, especially Hashimoto's. I know a lot of you have Hashimoto's and other autoimmunity. And there are so many specific things in terms of diet. We talk about the triggers, right? So there's the diet, there's the toxins, there are the the infections, but then the other big pillar is the stress. And it's not just the stress that's happening right now. It's that upregulated nervous system from all of the past emotional concussions. So that pillar, you know, when that's in place, it makes all of the other ones work that much better, like you're saying. So I can't agree more. Yeah. And that's what I was saying is, so if you've got all that uh, unresolved trauma, and then you start getting any kind of gut issues, it's the same thing as the analogy I used of running on the rocks from the bear, right? Your system is more than capable of dealing with those gut issues. But if it's focusing on the bear, it's not doing the amount of maintenance it should be doing on a day-to-day basis. Then all of a sudden you start saying, oh, I've got all these gut issues. You know, I've got parasites, I've got bacteria, I've got all these things going on in my gut. It's because your system didn't deal with it. And I'll give you a great example of a, of a gentleman who came in and we did a scan on him. We use a scanner to sort of do a whole test. And the scan showed up that he had high cholesterol. And so he goes, how does this scan know I have high cholesterol? And I says, well, do you? And he goes, yes. He said, but you didn't take any blood. And I said, well, cholesterol, you know, if it's high, just going to have a certain frequency. So it picked up the frequency as high. I took him through the four-hour process. We re-scanned him and his cholesterol went back into balance. So he said to me, he goes, well, this doesn't make any sense. He says, are you telling me my cholesterol changed in four hours? And I said, here's what happened. I said, during the four hours that your nervous system got regulated, while it was regulated, it started to do maintenance. I said, cholesterol is used by the liver. It synthesizes that into bile salts to flush your intestines. You are constantly being chased by the bear. So it's not going to synthesize it. And it builds up. If that continues to, and he had just gotten diagnosed with high cholesterol, but if that continued over a long enough period of time, you can see where it's going to, you know, aggravate the whole system. 
Yeah, absolutely. I just love how everything is so interconnected and our body is just amazing. (laughs) And I think even more amazing is that even though a lot of us have been through a lot of this stuff, you know, we can't take it back, but we can, like you said, fix it. And again, not that there's anything wrong with us, but we can, you know, flip that switch and regulate things so that these past events don't affect us in this very inflammatory way. And I just appreciate you so much and all of the work that you're doing. And I know you're helping so many people. Um, Dr. Wood, thank you so much for being here. This is such helpful information. It was so insightful. I really appreciate you being on. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and, and I love the work you're doing. So congratulations to you too. As you just heard, All types of traumas, even ones that seem too small to matter, can often lead to inflammation, which then has a huge impact on our immune systems, including autoimmunity, among many other health challenges. While biochemistry is important, to truly get to the bottom, it is imperative that we look at what is underlying, and this past year being a big one for so many of us, and realize that it can actually be playing on a loop in our brains. I'm so thrilled that Dr. Wood is offering us all 10% off of his amazing programs, which are just so effective at getting to the bottom of these underlying issues. It can address not just events from the last year, but so many others that you've likely been exposed to that can consistently fuel inflammation, leading to chronic autoimmunity and other health challenges. You can see all of the programs at www.gettip.com forward slash Ina. That is G-E-T. T-I-P-P dot com forward slash Ina, which is I-N-N-A for all of the details. And of course, I will have this link in the show notes and in all of your podcast apps. And for Allison, she and I worked on this from both angles. We started with biochemistry and I ran a comprehensive blood test to check for deficiencies. She was low in many nutrients, including vitamin D, iron, and B12, and had various food sensitivities, which all played a role in her immune function. We worked on her diet, and I supported her in making the necessary changes based on her results. In addition to the diet, we added the needed nutrients. Since her D was extremely low, I used the Hypoemulsy D from Designs for Health, which is a formula that I find that works the quickest in getting vitamin D levels up. If you have low vitamin D levels and have trouble getting them up, this one really works. Now, this formula is D only, and it does not have vitamin K. And as you may already know, it is very important to have D and K together. But her multivitamin had K, so we were all set there, and we had it supported. We also added in B12, and we used the B12ND, which actually has three different types of B12 for a comprehensive support. And we added a gentle iron called Ferrocal Iron from Designs for Health. I worked on her gut and used betaine HCL, which helps to support stomach acid because I found her stomach acid was low, which would explain the low iron and also the B12 in her blood work. And then we added in 3000 milligrams of vitamin C from Stellar C and 30 milligrams of zinc, the Zinc Supreme from Designs for Health, and we balanced that with two milligrams of copper. It is important to have zinc and copper in a good balance. All of this helped in balancing her immune system, but we also needed to look at the other triggers. I worked with Allison to help her calm her nervous system by addressing beliefs and teaching her to tune into her body by practicing a body scan, breath work, and meditation. At the same time, she's going through Dr. Wood's online program, which has been extremely eye-opening. 
She never realized how much stuff came up from the past and how much it was actually affecting her. The COVID stuff was like adding fuel to the fire and opened up Pandora's box, so to speak, where all of the other stored things started to come up to the surface. She's actually now able to see the reason behind all of this and couldn't be happier at the way that all of the events played out and what it allowed her to figure out about herself and her health. She's now seen friends and even took a trip without experiencing any anxiety and has stayed feeling well. If Allison sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and be sure to subscribe so that you never miss a show. Also, if this episode resonated with you and you're enjoying the show, I would so appreciate it if you could post a review on iTunes. I know that it takes an extra minute, but it is so helpful so that the show ranks higher and then it's shown to more people so more people can see this information. And I do talk to a lot of people who tell me that they've heard about the show from a friend or a colleague and they were so excited to find it and they just didn't even know this was available. So those reviews really, really help. And thank you so much. I'm so glad you were able to join me here on this episode of Health Mystery Solved. I'm Ina Toppler and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.